Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Hi, gang. Chad Madden here with Breakthrough. And what I want to do for you in this episode is the Grow Your Practice podcast is cover uh, a story here from three owners um, that I had the, the privilege of uh, meeting for dinner and, uh, and basically a problem solving a strategy session here uh, recently. And uh, so we had met in Philly for an event. Uh, every owner in the room um, was very similar in uh, where they were at within their career trajectory. Um, they all have uh, rebounded 20 to 30% higher than uh, their pre-COVID levels. All were growing in some way, either hiring, expanding existing clinics, or opening additional clinics. Um, and we were just discussing some of the, the problems uh, that they had run into, either personnel, you know, how can I hire um, team members, uh, marketing, or, uh, you know, finances, billing problems, combating declining reimbursements, uh, et cetera. You get the idea. But the one thing that came out of it is I, I asked them very specifically about their marketing and why they had confidence in growing now. And uh, th their, their story, it, I, I think it's powerful because you as a practice owner, if you're you know, just struggling to get back to where you were pre-pandemic or you're not so certain about growing in the future. I, I think this is really a story of, of hope, of possibility of what you can have um, when you have the right team and the right systems in place. So really what I, I wrote this down to be in my notes was the, the private practice marketing story. And for all of us, it's, you know, the first thing that we look at is we say, okay, I want to grow, right? We, we say that, we make that resolve, that resolution. And okay, that may be true. What's the next question we ask ourselves? We say, okay, how do we grow? What's the best way to grow? What's the most effective or efficient way to grow a private practice? And I can remember uh, when I first opened uh, back in 2003, I had a business plan. And that business plan was for five new patients a week. And I figured, you know, I went with the average of 12 visits per new patient. So that would be 60 visits scheduled per week. And I had an attendance rate and my business plan of 80%, which is pretty lousy, but I, I didn't really know any better at the time. Um, so it was 80% attendance. So if I saw 48 visits a week, how much income would be coming in? How much expense uh, would that cost us to uh, provide care for those patients? Uh, you know, my pay, uh, the other employees pay, the cost of the space, equipment, et cetera. And would there be money left over? And and if you know some of my personal story, that was, uh, we opened on a Tuesday, September 2nd, 2003. My oldest son was born that Friday, um, September 5th, three days later. So my wife literally was nine months pregnant with our first son, uh, with our first child uh, on the eve of opening our, our PT practice, going into business, going into practice. Um, so that happened. And I remember in those early days, working a lot of hours, um, she was at home and we kind of had this agreement that, you know, if I could make a go of private practice, 
um, and make the business successful that she would be able to stay home to um, take care of our growing family, right? And we happy ending. We went on to have five more children and, uh, and it all worked out. But at the time, we didn't really know that. And I can remember, uh, we definitely didn't have the certainty. So we were primarily 100%, um, not primarily, uh, at the time, because we didn't have direct access in Pennsylvania, I had no idea how to market direct to the consumer, um, including my past patient list or the general public. So 100% of our marketing efforts were direct to physicians. And frankly, at the time, I didn't really know how to do that. But every day when I would get home, she would say, hey, did you get your five yet this week? And that was five new patients, right? And you're probably thinking the same thing. You know, if you're opening your uh, second location or you're um, maybe hiring that other PT, there's some sort of, you know, if, if, you, if you're seeing 20 new patients a week today and you're about to add your six PT, and once you do, you're going to be saying, okay, how do we attract 24 or 25 new patients a week, right? So that other therapist schedule grows and it is full, right? So the question is, how do we grow? Well, how do we grow? The, the most logical thing to do from a business owner perspective, which is very rare in private practice PT, is to say, okay, am I seeing any new patients that we're not really capturing? Is there a leak uh, in our process somewhere? I, rarely will I talk with an owner that ever looks at that first. And to be honest, you know, my first 12, 15 years of private practice as an owner, I never really looked there, right? It's always, and you see this, uh, we're always talking about more new patients, right? If you look at any, any marketing company right now or practice growth company right now in physical therapy or any other industry, what is the buzzword? And it's been this way for the last 20 years. It's new, maybe 30 years, new patients, right? Well, actually, I, I can even go back to the 80s. Um, reading old dentistry material, I know that, you know, it's new patients. However, that's really more of the pain pill, right? The, the vitamin is we're probably uh, getting calls from inquiries from patients, potential patients that are never seen, right? Most of us tend to think that 100% of the physician referrals uh, that make it to our fax machine or to our front desk or our phone, that they all make it to an appointment and 100% sign up for a full plan of care and everybody graduates, right? But that's not reality. That we, our conversion rates aren't nearly as high as what we think they are. So the most logical thing would be to fix that, but most of us ignore that, right? So we say, okay, how do we attract more new patients rather than focus on my processes and systems and look for any leaks? I'm just gonna go right to um, attracting more new patients. So, Right. Well, what do we do that? Well, the old way, which I was dealing with in 2003 before direct access or knowing how to market direct to the consumer is I'll market to referral sources, right? So every physician in our area, every PA, every nurse practitioner, um, anybody that's in your area who could legally refer per your practice act, you start marketing to, right? That's kind of the, for a hundred years, that's what our, that was the life blood of our business, the lifeline of our business was physician referrals. Now, since uh, direct access is a thing of the present, uh, most of us has, have accepted we can uh, market direct to the consumer. So the more veteran uh, experienced practices, most of them have some sort of physician, efficient, effective physician marketing figured out. 
uh, usually involves a newsletter or dropping off, um, you know, doing some sort of meet and greet or lunches, you get the idea there. Um, but for most practices, that physician marketing is maxed out or it's not an option, right? Maybe you have an area like I do where you have two or three large hospital systems that employ 90% of the local referral sources or most of the physicians in your area have their own POPs practice where there's something else going on there that you can't really get through or get around, right? So the decision that most of us make is, well, now I'm gonna market direct to the consumer. What do most of us do there, right? Well, um, when we market direct to the consumer, the, what most of us do is we play uh, marketing roulette. And what marketing roulette is, is, is we wait for you know, a rep to walk through the door and that sales rep works for um, perhaps uh, the local newspaper or the local, local uh, TV station or local radio station. They're selling media to us. And we know that we should be doing something direct to the consumer. We focus on the media and more on that in a minute and we buy that media. Then there's a deadline three or four, maybe six weeks later. And that rep comes back to us and says, okay, you know, your spot's about to run here on the radio. Uh, what do you want it to say? And obviously we haven't given any thought to that. We thought our job was just to buy the media and the new patients would pour in. And that, again, that's not how it works. So it's an incomplete view of direct to consumer marketing, but we bought the media, we did our job. So the rep says, well, you know, I really like um, to write copy. I pride myself in writing good copy. Why don't I write something up for you and get it over to you and you can just approve it. And then we'll have somebody do the voiceover, right? So that happens, they run the ad. And then six months later, that um, after the ad has run its course, that rep visits you again and says, hey, by the way, it's time to buy more radio ads or TV ads or print ads. You get the idea. However, most of the time, we're not really aware if that media worked or not, right? Did we use a direct response where people were raising their hand and they're calling a specific number and it's trackable? Most of the time that, that hasn't happened. We probably did some sort of branding message where we talked about, you know, we were the premier rehab provider and if you've ever played marketing roulette, the test is you just go back to the copy. You just go back to the word. Copy means the words that are in the, the advertisement and you look at it. And if the majority of that ad talks about you, um, or at least this is how I looked at it. Um, if the majority of the ad talks about you as the premier rehab provider or some other um, uh, focus on the practice, how great the practice is that we're the best, then we played marketing roulette. Right. And the way that I took it is I'm gullible and I'm a sucker, right? That I was buying at, at I was buying advertising and media that really fed our ego rather than served um, serve the patient, the potential patient. And there was a huge shift for us that once we started providing value and focus on the patient and their problem, and we almost became anonymous in our uh in our advertising, our results went through the roof, right? So that's what most of us do. We say, okay, I want to buy media. The rare exception is where you learn to do it the right way. Um, so some of the things that came up, questions there is I would say, okay, this isn't really working. What are other practices doing? I'll buy the same thing. So I, you know, I saw other practices by billboards. There's our local hospital system 
Uh, there's a billboard literally right out the window that I can see that's about 200 yards away. Luckily, it's facing the other way, not that it would really bother me because it's not the best use of a billboard. Um, but they, you know, the hospital system is buying billboards, therefore I should buy billboards. Or the hospital is doing uh, Google SEO or SEM, right? Ser SEM is search engine marketing or they're on TV or they're on the radio or they're using print ads or they're sending direct mail or they're on Facebook. Um, they're using those media, therefore I should buy the same thing. And that tends to be a mistake, right? You and I don't have the large marketing budgets of the local hospital system. We don't have um, a, a captured referral system, a network of doctors um, that are making that go around for us. And um, we also don't have the, the budgets of the larger uh, PT corporations as well, right? So we can't really afford to do branding. We have to do something that is measurable that we can see a result from. So along those lines, we want to focus on messaging. And the questions there are, well, you know, what should my ad say? What should I advertise? Or maybe we focus on the target market, the person that is consuming the media, which is where I like to start, but, you know, who should I market to? Who do we want to attract to our clinic? Who am I trying to attract in the clinic? What condition or diagnosis do I want to be known for, right? What, what is something that uh, using that Jim Holland's, Jim Collins hedgehog concept from good to great, you know, what's something that we can be best in our area at um, that we're also passionate about that feeds our economic engine, right? So they're, they're good questions to ask when we're deciding to go direct to the consumer. And in the very beginning, when I started marketing, same for these other three owners who had almost the same exact story. They were trying to do these same things and every one of them admitted to, yep, I've played the marketing roulette. Um, you know, we knew that there was something there, but uh, we didn't know how to buy media the right way and use that media the right way with appropriate messaging and appropriate uh, target marketing. So I promised you this uh, earlier uh, in this session, but I said, I, I would get back to this for you. So six or seven years ago, um, when, before like direct access marketing or direct to consumer marketing was a thing in PT, uh, there, my uh, partner here and co-founder at Breakthrough, uh, Carl Mattiola surveyed 300 plus practice owners. You may have been one of them. And he asked, what is the biggest mistake that you've ever made in marketing your private practice? The follow-up question to that is, what is the most successful thing you've ever done? So the first question, the biggest mistake you've ever made, um, 37 unique answers. Again, 300 plus owners responded. And they, it, it took me a while to understand this, but the list that they generated of the most, the biggest mistake they've ever made was also the same exact list for what's the most successful thing you've ever done. And it took me a few months to look at this and uh, lots of conversations with Carl around this. We didn't really understand it. And then all of a sudden we saw 100% of the answers for the biggest mistake were media types. 100% of the answers for success were media types. That is not a discerning answer for us. And if you want to quickly separate yourself and figure out direct-to-consumer marketing, you have to understand that it's more than a media buy. If you're just looking to check a box and say, yeah, we have, we're in the paper or we're in the yellow pages, right? 20 years ago, 
um, or we're on Facebook, that's fine, right? But if you're really trying to get something out of it, if you're really looking to create a, a growth machine, you have to be more savvy than that. And it starts with the target market and those questions that I asked uh, beforehand. It starts, uh, it, it then goes to your messaging, right? What should my ad say? What should I advertise? Am I using the language of the people that I'm trying to reach or am I using uh, language that makes me feel good as a physical therapist, as a practice owner? And then, um, you know, the, the other thing is, am I finally, am I buying media? Am I buying media and using it in the same way that my target customers are doing, right? You, the way that you scroll through Facebook is not the way that your target market scrolls through Facebook if your target market is a 15-year-old uh, gymnast, right? It may be the same way if it's a you know 53-year-old family-oriented female, right? So you want to start thinking about that. How do they use the newspaper? How do they consume TV? What stations do they watch? Same thing with the radio. Are they even listening to the radio? They're all things that you want to think about as you're, you're crafting and developing your direct-to-market strategy. Once you answer that, the next question is, you know, uh, what type of marketing should I use? I'm going to go through three basic ones uh, that I have found th that work well. So number one, if you're listening to this, you're, you likely have a science degree. So I'm going to assume that you're a, if you have a physical therapy degree, you likely have a bachelor's in, in science. Um, you've at least had science uh, courses in your uh, undergrad and graduate studies. So I like to be a scientist with marketing as well. And the, the first thing that we talk, want to talk about is branding versus direct response. So most of the time when we think of branding, or when we think of advertising, we think of branding, right? We think of uh, the most number one brand in the world right now, I believe is Starbucks that surpassed Coca-Cola. Uh, and that was probably six or seven years ago. I might be dating myself there a little bit, but um, you get the idea of branding. Branding is like, once you see that logo, it uh, reflects something to you. It creates an emotional, visceral response. You know, maybe for you, it's Nike or Apple or Adidas or something like that. Probably all the things that were critical of our kids about buying because of a logo, that, that's really branding, right? It's because I wear Nike shoes, I can dunk like Michael Jordan. Or you, you get the idea there. So that's branding. What that looks like in physical therapy is we're the best, right? So it be, quickly becomes this competition of we're better than everybody else in our area. And we'll say that in a myriad of ways. Maybe it's the training that we've had. Um, maybe it's um, the number of therapists that we have or the quality of therapists that we have. Maybe it's for many of us, we're just thinking if we say we have high quality of care or we're the premier rehab provider, everybody else will just take our word for it. Maybe we won an award, right? And that's part of our deal as well. But that, that all falls under branding. Direct, and that's really a focus on us. Direct response is a focus on the person that we can potentially help. And that is, you know, um, are you experiencing back pain? Do you want to learn about a natural way to heal? Like that, uh, asking questions of focus on uh, your, your potential patient is uh, what I, I got ahead of myself there a little bit. That's more uh, patient centric, which we're going to talk about here. But direct response is where you have a conversation with a potential person via your ad, 
and they raise their hand, right? And here's how to think about direct response marketing. Um, how many people are within, as you're listening to this, 10 miles of your office or your offices, your, your cluster? So my example here, I'm in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. There's 100,000 people within a 10-mile radius. Okay, how many of those people do I think have had our number one diagnosis is uh, rotator cuff and shoulder problems. So how many of those people do I think have had rotator cuff and shoulder pain in the last 30 days? Uh, I'm gonna guess that number, let's say it's fairly low, let's say 3%, right? I think the research is actually significantly higher, but let's say 3% of people have had shoulder pain in the last uh, 30 days. So they would all be potential patients. Well, obviously, even though we have six clinics, and 40 clinicians or so, we couldn't possibly handle 30 people coming, uh, sorry, 3,000 people coming through, all raising their hand at the same time. So direct response, what we're doing in our, in our advertising is getting that person to raise their hand so we can have further conversations with them, either automated via computer um, and software or with a human being to determine if they're appropriate for physical therapy or not. So direct response gets the person to raise their hand. It's very measurable. Right? We can see how many people raise their hand, and then we can follow those people with the right software system. We can follow those people through the whole way to scheduling a plan of care. Branding, we can't do that. Right? We can't necessarily measure response unless we do um, a calendar and we look, okay, we ran this campaign uh, around you know, uh, getting back to running or ACL prevention or rotator cuff, whatever it is, and then we saw this many more new patients in that four week period after we ran the ad. It's, it's significantly less measurable and it's uh, way more gray and um, tough to grab onto, right? So that's branding versus direct response. I'm a fan of direct response. The next one, it, it will, and it's also in the numbers. So we run 100% of our ads are direct response. We don't do any branding at all. Now, the other thing that I wanna say before I move on here is when you do direct response the right way, Oddly, you get a branding effect because people come to know you um, for the, what you're running in your direct response ads. Quick example, um, I go to uh, a judo, jujitsu, MMA studio, right? And I'm old and decrepit, and, but it makes me feel young and I have a little bit of a wrestling background. So just that's a great activity for uh, the kids and I to do. So I went to class uh, last night, took three of our uh, six children. During the class, I saw a guy who was unable to raise his arm. He's fairly young, right? I'm guessing he's in his mid thirties. The instructor of the class and owner of the gym said, hey, by the way, this guy right here is a PT, meaning me. He's done some workshops with us. Uh, somebody else in the class actually went to them for shoulder pain and did really well. You should have a conversation, introduced us. Right, so I have this branding effect that we're known for rotator cuff and shoulder pain, and res the results, uh, natural treatment, helping people get back to normal without medications, injections, and surgery, and that really came from the direct response campaigns that we do because I know the owner watches um, the videos that we put out and admires our marketing. Right, so we got a branding effect because of the direct response. Now let me move on to the next one. Uh, next type of marketing that I want to talk about is, again, focus on the practice or let's call it practice centric 
versus, versus patient-centric. And go back to your dating days, right? And think about this. Have you ever had a date where you just started blocking the person out? This is usually a first date. And you just started counting the numbers that they said, I, right? They just, they told you their entire life story. Um, they never asked you a question, right? And you just kind of got to the point after 30 minutes or so of that, where you sat with a blank stare. Hopefully you didn't agree to a second date with that person. Um, but nonetheless, right? That, that's a focus. That's a pretty selfish, selfish focus. And it just raises a huge red flag when we're having human interactions. However, most of us kind of do that, and I, myself included, very guilty, when we're advertising our practice, right? Uh, we, again, premier rehab provider, high quality of care, almost always in, in there. Um, or, you know, we talk about a percentage of patients we help or our outcomes or something like that, right? That's a little bit about us. Even um, most, most recently, you could probably find us uh, on our website here, but um, we, we'll talk about people flying in from all over the country to our practice here in Harrisburg uh, just to be treated here, all right? There are so, uh, that might pass a little bit um, under the radar for some people who are very focused on marketing. However, it's, it's still a little bit selfish, right? So that's the focus on the practice. The other one is patient-centric. And that is using lay language. It's using the language of the target uh, market, the, the potential patient. Um, that, and the way that I think about that is uh, the way that I've heard it taught is on a fifth grade reading level. And I think that's very accurate. You know, if you've ever done anything on like a YouTube or another social media platform, I noticed there back in 2010, 2011, when I started posting uh, YouTube videos, the ones that went viral had the most basic language. Anytime that I use the word like spondylolisthesis or vertebral instability or um, you know, glenohumeral joint or anything like that, as soon as I would start to talk, uh, leak in my, prof my uh, professional speak or PT speak, that language, that there would be instant drop off on the video, right? And you can see this on YouTube analytics. It's amazing what you can learn there but just something to think about. You wanna speak in very lay language, very patient-centric terms. So ask meaningful and relevant questions. Think about this. If you were one of those 3000 people in your area with rotator cuff and shoulder pain, what type of conversation are you having right now? You're probably thinking, um, do I need an MRI? Am I ever gonna get back to normal again? And, and oddly, you can quickly Google this and see what the leading questions are in your area for rotator cuff and shoulder problems or any other said diagnosis. And the final type of marketing that I wanna talk about is broad general versus diagnostic specific. So broad general is trying to be everything to everyone. Um, you know, you, you don't, you're trying to run a workshop or you're trying to run a campaign and uh, you're not, you're not only talking about rotator cuff and shoulder problems, but you're also talking about hip and knee issues, foot and ankle issues, elbow and wrist um, issues, or maybe even hand. Um, and then don't forget about the spine. You have to include that as well. Well, that you just clouded your message so much trying to be everything to everyone um, rather than being something very, very specific. And in a, there's a business book on technology adoption um, 
named uh, Crossing the Chasm, titled Crossing the Chasm. It was by Jeffrey Moore. I believe it was from the early mid nineties, maybe like 94, 96, something like that. But if you go and you look at that, he talks about this concept of uh, the beachhead, right? And really you have to be known for really doing something super well before you can go and conquer every other month, conquer the world with PT, right? So for most of us, we start with something well-known like back pain um, and create a reputation there. That's what we did because we were, it was the number one reason that physicians in our area were sending the PT. So we developed a reputation for back pain. Straight to the consumer, we wanted to do, you know, blue ocean strategy, not play in, uh, not swim in bloodied waters where there's a lot of competition like back pain. So we went um, not only with back pain, but we did rotator cuff and shoulder. Right, and we created a reputation there. And you know, you you probably have a similar story. So we are very diagnostic specific when we market direct to the consumer versus being broad in general. We're we're marketing to a spe specific demographic. We're using very specific language, and all of that is really how that target market speaks about the problem at specific diagnosis. So number seven, um, what should I do when someone? responds. And so now you figured out direct to consumer marketing, you have your ad in place and you're attracting people and you're getting responses. So maybe they're clicking on your ad, maybe they're going to a landing page or a squeeze page. Maybe they're calling your office. Maybe they're sending you an email, whatever that is, there's really three levels of conversion. Number one is the first contact with your practice. In our case, it's usually a marketer. All of our uh, phone numbers and our ads run to uh, one of, right now it's four marketers. We have a team of people um, that are not only implement our systems, but also handle the conversations. Um, in many practices, they're going to a front desk person, right? A receptionist. There are right and wrong ways, effective and ineffective ways to have that conversation. That's something that you have to pay attention to and ultimately master if you're going to market direct to the consumer. The next level um, is if you're presenting, if you're offering information like a workshop, whether it's online or live, um, there is a skill set and competency to ultimately convert people that consume that information. Again, can be online, can be evergreen, could be live in house, right? So there's a, a skill competency of the presenter to ultimately help that person along and make a decision. You know, do they want a plan of care or not? Or do they at least want to sign up for an eval, discovery visit, pre-screen, et cetera? Um, and then the third level of conversion that needs to happen is the skill set of the PT in the room. And I know you're probably thinking, because we all graduated PT school, that conversion levels um, during an IE or a free screen are all the same across the board. I can tell you within one practice, I've seen less than a 10% conversion and greater than 90, right? So they had an extreme high performer, uh, a therapist that could talk with patients really well and have them sign up for a plan of care. And they also had somebody that had a major possibility of improvement, right? And you should have processes there for every, uh, and be paying attention to that all across the board. Which leads me to the final thing that I wanna talk about is, you know, once we build this out, we have direct-to-consumer marketing. I like to think of that as layered, right? We're using multimedia, going um, to the same 
giving multiple media touch points to the same target market, um, same cut co potential customer. Um, what do we need to do to consistently build and get results from run a marketing system? Well, number one, we need a trained team. So we need processes and a system in place that is learnable and repeatable amongst multiple people. We need software to track that, right? And there are lots of options out there right now. Um, you know, in our practice here, luckily, uh, Carl developed software, not only at Tesla Motors, um, like he was doing when we met, but also um, Johnson & Johnson, other Silicon Valley tech startups. He had a background in software. He built out uh, something custom for our practice and now 200 other practices as well. But what that does is it helps us track from the second somebody responds to one of our ads, the whole way through to when they become a, a uh, paying patient and are on a plan of care to the time they graduate and are even reactivated, right? That's so, the software tracks everything that is happening there for us. So we can make better marketing decisions long-term, do more of what works and less of what doesn't. And then the other thing that we talked about earlier, the third component that you need there is advertising that works. So anyhow, that uh, when I was talking with those three owners, um, that I wrote a ton of notes, had uh, my, my notebook filled up with notes. And when I went back, that was the story that I heard them say. And oddly, I was like, this is the same exact story that I went through as well. So anyhow, hopefully this helps you on your private practice journey, especially if you're looking to make uh, this successful transition and diversify where your new patients are coming from and adding on direct-to-consumer marketing to your past patient list and also uh, to the general public uh, to complement what you're already doing with physicians. This is Chad with the Grow Your Practice podcast. Again, hope you enjoyed this. I'll see you in the next episode. Remember to visit getbreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.